What's up, everyone? Welcome back. Or if you haven't listened before, welcome. I took a few weeks off to stockpile some interviews and officially rebrand the podcast. So you're listening to the third episode of what is now the Future of Music podcast. I wanted to branch out of just Web3 and start talking about music and tech more generally, especially with topics like AI becoming so prevalent. Technology is going to drastically change the way music is made, monetized, and consumed over the next decade, and I want to learn about all of it, and I'm bringing you along for the ride. I've also been getting super involved with Float, an experimental label and media company helping independent artists create music and sell digital assets, and we've decided to partner for the podcast, so I'll now be releasing new episodes on YouTube under their Float TV channel. So lots of exciting stuff going on, and thank you for tuning in. Speaking of AI, I've decided to use the tools at my disposal for intros and not bros going forward. So here is the intro done by an AI model of my voice. This episode is a conversation with Mavi Taylor. Mavi is an independent artist based in Richmond who describes her music as soul pop. She's active in Web3 and has been minting music NFTs since last year. We met at Art Basel in Miami and became fast friends, and it was a pleasure to host her for her first podcast conversation. We talked about her musical background, how she got into Web3, what tools she uses for writing and production, and much more. I hope you learned something new from today's episode. Here is Mavi Taylor. So how much time are you spending on music these days? So I work nine to five every day and then do music from like, six to ten or to be honest with you I mean if they ever asked me this I would say no what are you talking about but like on my lunch breaks and stuff like when there's a lull in whatever's going on yeah like a standing desk setup so I kind of have it set up where I can like keep an eye on work and be like doing the things but the second there's like a spatial a big break mm-hmm. I can just, like, rotate my chair and start recording here's my little my little mic here that I can just kind of pull down and you know mess with so I try to make my space like transitional because working a nine to five I didn't want to have to give up like making music every day or at least like trying to like I didn't want to just limit myself to doing it on the weekend so that's the routine I'm piloting right now (laughs) yeah definitely I mean that's you know it sounds like you're still putting in some good hours every day how long how long do you think you've been uh you know doing music for that you know that seriously every day probably like two months now that's because that's when I started the position so just having like you know consistent work being able to pay bills and kind of be creative at the same time was what I was looking to have so just kind of more stability overall helps me be more creative, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, financial freedom helps creative freedom for sure. Yes. Yes. Um, How long had you been making music before that? Like when did you start making music? I started making music for like funsies when I was in college. So like 2018 and then put out two EPs, a music video, um, I had like a mini tour set to kick off. I'm not kidding you. The day that they announced lockdown, (laughs) like I was like in rehearsal and people were like, yeah, um, Yeah, there's like a pandemic. And I was like, oh, it's funny how many people thought it would be done. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. it's, It's funny how many people say they had something bubbling and something like about to be going on in March of 2020. Like I just started throwing events at, 
at college and DJing at some of the bars there. And we had like one party in like late February and then everything got shut down. And um, a few others I've talked to were like about to kick off a tour, like about to start this or that. And um, yeah, it's just, you know, the timing, whatever. It's like, where were you on? What was it? It was literally like <laughs> right. I will, I'll never forget it because I was like, I had it circled in my planner. It's like rehearsal day. And now I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I know I'm not the only person in that boat, which I guess made it easier to deal with. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, when you say making music, what do you, what do you mean by that? What do you do creatively? Then or now? Uh, both, I guess. How's it changed? So I used to just write, like I would, I don't say just write, but I would primarily stick to writing, singing, um, it would like book studio sessions around town. Like I remember when I was a senior in college, I would put my running shoes in my backpack and like wear a nice outfit to class. Cause like I wasn't, I got an advertising degree. So we'd be like presenting, you have to look nice. Um, and I would leave class, put on my running shoes, run to the studio that was like half a mile away, record a song or two, <laughs> And then run back to campus with like a very nice outfit on, but running shoes <laughs> go back. Um, and honestly, during the pandemic, I'm not gonna lie, it was really hard for me. So I kind of took a break, um, upgraded all of my equipment, though, and tried to kind of set myself up for success for when I did feel like getting back into it. Um, and now I'm kind of sharpening those skills, teaching myself logic teaching myself how to record myself regardless of where I am. Like I don't have a perfectly sound treated room. Um, so kind of figuring how to do that and how to achieve the sound I want to achieve. So now it's not just songwriting and having to book other people to record, which is fine. Like I don't mind giving my amazing creative friends money support, but it was something I really wanted to be able to do myself, you know? So now kind of in my self-production teaching myself era <laughs> of things yeah that's cool uh when when did you start doing that probably like October of 2022 uh-huh cool how's it going it's going well it's obviously a little frustrating teaching yourself something completely brand new but I kind of went into it with the mentality of like if you can teach yourself Photoshop, which I did, it's like, if you could teach yourself Photoshop, you got this. Like there's so much, there's so many tutorials and there's so many people I know in my life that can help me, have been helping me. And so that kind of gave me the, the motivation and like the confidence to start doing it. So yeah, not long, like October. And then going to Art Basel, like poured gasoline on that fire because I was like, I have so many ideas and I want to be able to get them down. Even if I had to take them to someone else after, I want to be able to do that myself. So yeah, a hundred percent. I felt the same way this past weekend about the podcast in general, just talking to people about creating that. And it's like just being in person at those things is really energizing and inspiring. Right. Um, it's and, nice yeah, to do and it's only getting easier to create in general, like with yeah. all the stuff you can look up online. And and I know having friends who are already doing it is definitely super helpful. 
Yeah, because you know, some you can't be like, you can't Google like, why does this sound kind of shitty? Or like, <laughs> what do I do with this thingy? Like when you don't even know what you want to look up, that's when I'll, I call it phoning a friend. Right. I'll give it a good like 20, 30 minute try before I phone a friend. But it's always so nice to have that and to not be like Googling, guessing, you know, I'm definitely so grateful for that. Yeah, I have been hanging around a lot of people who are making a lot of music recently, uh, mostly with Float. And it's uh, really got me wanting to start experimenting and trying to get into it. So I think if I just keep talking to people about it, I'll have to start really messing around. Yeah, just jump in. Just jump right in. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I want to start messing around with some of the uh, like AI creation tools because there's a lot of stuff bubbling up that I've started reading about that, you know, I think if you learn how to use it, it makes it pretty, it makes it easier to, you know, just have high quality sounds. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, there's some tools I've, I have been looking into recently that seem pretty cool. Have you read up on any of the like AI audio creation stuff? Not as far as I was actually going to ask you, like, what do you mean or which ones do you use for specifically audio? I've been using AI to help me when I get stuck with lyrics or kind of like a flow, if that makes sense. I'll put my lyrics into like some of the AI things and either have it like give suggestions or I'll put the concept I'm thinking of into AI and take some of those keywords, jot those down. And then while I'm writing, I'll have those keywords at the top of the page. And sometimes I don't use them. Sometimes I do, but I feel like it helps me not get stuck to be looking at words that are related to it that I would not have really thought of before. I'm very like, I, I think lyrics to me um, is the most important part of my music. So I've really been using it to kind of expand those horizons. But what are you using for sound? Like, uh, audio? I don't, I don't, I haven't messed around with any of them yet. And to be honest, I forget the names of them, but there were a few I was reading in the recent Water of Music report about creative AI, about, you know, some tools that are like becoming text to audio tools where you can like describe the song or sound and um, some other stuff like that that's, you know, will give you, you know, a bunch of different MIDI samples for a melody or like, um, I don't know, there's a bunch of tools out there. And I, and I want to look more into them, because I think for someone maybe with no experience creating music, it would be cool to try to use these like super advanced AI tools to get into it. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. That's that's super interesting. You've been using it for writing and lyrics. Are you talking about chat GPT specifically? No, and I also forget the name of the AI thing that I've been using. <laughs> uh -huh. It's um, it it was specifically designed like for lyrics and like poetry. Oh, really? Interesting. I've tried with ChatGPT as far as lyrics. I would was, imagine it's not that good. It's so cheesy, and yeah. it goes off of the like every single time you ask it ChatGPT to write lyrics, it does the um, like A B rhyme scheme. Uh -huh. on like every single thing uh -huh. so like it just tries to rhyme like every a b line and i'm like this is not yeah that's interesting so there's some that are specifically designed for songwriting that's cool yes and speaking of making 
like audio and AI sounds. I was watching the This Week Tonight with, I think his name is John Oliver, uh-huh. the British guy. They used an AI, like they had a whole segment on it. And it was really funny. And to close out the segment, they played a song that they had made through AI of Eminem rapping about kittens. And like, it was almost like it was cool, but it was scary because yeah. it really sounded like Eminem. And it really, it wasn't that bad of a rap. Like, <laughs> it wasn't that cringe for something being about kittens. So I think it's going to be really interesting how the next three, four, five, even just three years, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this because unlike other forms of art, you can't, you can't copyright the likeness of, you can't copyright your voice, the likeness of you. Yeah. Oh, I didn't really think about that part. So like I could train an AI to sound like Mavi and then just start having it sing songs and you, there's nothing you could do about it. Well, because wouldn't create some kind of solution for that? Well, there are, there's a lot of, I mean, there's copyright laws around the training data, I think. Like, that was part of the water and music thing I was reading that, like, a big um, issue or or just like something that all these AI companies are dealing with is the, uh, the training data and how do you get legally sourced, you know, potentially copyrighted or uncopyrighted training data in a way that uh, you're allowed to use it for an AI to create someone's voice or, or musical styles or whatever. And a lot of projects um, will just hire people independently to create the sound bank that they're training these models on. Yeah. Um, so I think like something like that Eminem kitten song probably isn't something they would be able to legally monetize unless they can prove that the source data was legally acquired somehow. I don't know. It's really complicated. It's pretty it's crazy. It's so complicated. And that's why I say like, it'll be interesting. Like it is scary, but I'm kind of looking at like really big influential people in the space to set the precedent of like treating other people's art and voice with respect, like, I know even seeing like Getty Images is in a locked suit right now with chat GPT mm-hmm. <laughs> because some of their oh, images straight up come up with a blurred Getty image on the side. Uh, right. And so just things like that, it will all come down to the training data and it will just be interesting to see how that comes to voice because, you know, like, with art and like physical things like that, I think it's much easier to copyright. Even with lyrics, it's so much easier, but there's really nothing stopping us right now from going and making an AI Rihanna song and like using that as the intro to your podcast. So like, it will be (laughs) interesting to see even like two years from now, what precedence is around that. Because I also don't foresee celebrities that don't care about web three NFTs and AI I don't foresee them being like, oh yeah, that's fine. So right. Well, I don't really foresee them also like creating a sound bank that you can buy and then like make a Rihanna song if you like buy her voice. Like yeah. they're probably not gonna do that shit. No. 
she she doesn't need our money she's like (laughs) she doesn't need you know 50 bucks a month to you know basically copy her in ai form i don't know fuck that shit is so crazy it would be cool though like i and see that's a model i think would work like the artist giving a kind of sound bank or like training data that they're comfortable with and then that kind of being like a mutual relationship i think where we're going to run into trouble is when it's not Mm -hmm. and you're taking it and kind of like too bad so sad attitude which i'd like to believe people wouldn't do but if there's money involved there's going to be bad actors here and there yeah the tech is not bad the people are bad not everybody right yeah that's when it comes into play yeah i've heard that that uh argument or, or point before it's really not like technology and all these tools and everything like nothing is inherently bad in its creation it's just like how people are utilizing everything yeah yeah so you know hopefully people use it responsibly but like I said it'll be interesting to see how this all pans out I'm just along for the ride I think I try not to make everything too web3 AI focused like I really try to remind myself that it is a tool to progress and improve the art I would already be making so I try not to let it cloud my mind too much but I'm trying to view it as you know like a progressive tool instead of something to be like really afraid of so yeah I mean I think that's the in my opinion the right mentality around it it's like this stuff is here already and it's only going to keep affecting how much it or keep increasing how much it affects our lives so might as well try to figure out how to use it in a way that benefits you yeah um even to like what they were saying on that show um because I was I was am the in the advertising field um lots of people I know that are copywriters were kind of freaking out like what does this mean for the future of our career and I kind of view it as like it's going to be separated into like they're not going to lose their jobs you're not going to lose your job but it's going to be copywriters or lawyers or whoever that use AI versus ones that don't And I think that's what's going to be the separation. I don't think anything could ever really copy like full human emotion and connection like that. So I think it's just going to favor those that know how to use it as a tool and aren't just completely like, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I had a similar conversation with my friend who is also a copywriter, like the same conversation. And uh, she was she was scared of it for sure. and, And I'm trying to slowly like talk about the interesting use cases and how it could be beneficial to learn how to use it. But I mean, for some really simple stuff, she was saying like some of her clients uh, would love something like chat GPT to just draft up a million basic slogans for, you know, whatever ad copy they're working on. And my thought was like, well then good. That means that the people who are good copywriters will have more time to work on like actually creative projects and stuff that, you know, requires that human connection more than just like really simple stuff that, you know, people who are working on it probably don't even enjoy working on. That's a really good angle to it too. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an optimistic angle, I'm sure, but that's just how I think. What other choice do you have? (laughs) Right. Like 
it's just going to keep growing and being there. So yeah, like I said, it's going to be the ones that either use it or don't. And if clients want to take that route of like just using the chat GPT, good for them. But yeah, there's nothing like a good copywriter too to have one, give you good work, but to also like talk and communicate to your clients and like pick up on those things. You can't send chat GPT to a meeting. Right. So, yeah. It'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, yeah, it will be super interesting. I'm, I'm excited for it. I think I was also having a conversation with this guy at in Denver who has been like creating machine learning models for music for five years or something. And we were talking about how it's going to create new genres of music that like people have never heard before. Cause you'll be able to just like, <clears throat> like I think what he does is he'll train a model on like one type of genre and give it a bunch of like funk samples and vocals, for example, and then give it a bunch of like heavy metal samples and vocals and train it on how to make sounds that sound like that genre. And then once you have enough sound banks, you can be like, all right, make funk metal now. And, funk metal. and then just like blend all these different influences like uh really quickly in in ways that i think will eventually just create totally new sounds and genres that people couldn't really think of before that will be interesting to see too i'm excited for funk metal <laughs> he said i think he i think he had the example of chainsaw funk was wow. <laughs> something he brought up that sounds like a band name in itself yeah it does <laughs> chainsaw funk headlining um how would you describe the music that you're making and not to box you into genre but um you know what are the different influences that go into it and and what inspires you in in your music i would say this i would describe my music as soul pop if i had to put a title on it um i was raised on <laughs> like bluegrass and country but also growing up in Virginia at the same time raised on like R&B and hip-hop so I think that merged in my brain very interestingly um I also just kind of have like a natural like when I just go to sing it comes out very like jazzy but I really enjoy the production elements of pop like I love writing a song to some like jazz chords or to a jazz piano and then taking it and adding like some crazy 808s or like textures things like that um my biggest inspiration growing up was definitely amy winehouse um one of my biggest inspirations right now is ray she's like coming up out of the uk um and honestly miley cyrus has been like one of the most consistent artists i think um I'm going to be bold and say one of the most consistent artists of our time. I'm going to say that. I think just the way that she goes through different genres, but keeps her same vocals and tone, like doesn't change that about herself. I think is really inspiring. Um, and also, like I said, lyrics, like a song to me is nothing. If the lyrics don't hit, like if I'm not instantly like I need to read these lyrics like when Spotify added that little karaoke tool to read the lyrics I was like thank you I love that so much yeah karaoke is fun as hell I, I threw a karaoke birthday party for myself and a friend the other day and and people love it it's the best 
that's so fun yeah. but you know like sometimes you hear a song and you don't like hear it right like you don't hear what they're saying until you read the lyrics along and I don't know how many people actually do that sometimes I get like hyper focused when I'm making my own music imagining that everyone's going to be reading it like a book and like that's not the case <laughs> um, I even honestly like became a huge Bad Bunny fan this summer. Um, I'm French Canadian. I could not know any less Spanish. It's like not possible for me to know any less Spanish. <laughs> and so I started reading his, but I was like, this music slaps. It's also being streamed by everyone in the world. Let me see what he's talking about. And <laughs> so I started translating Bad Bunny lyrics because I was like, what is he talking about? Like, I want to know when I'm singing the song, not that I'm going to have perfect Spanish, but right. I want to know like what he's getting at, like what's the vibe. And through that, I found it interesting that his lyrics matched or like what he was talking about really matched the production of the song, even when I didn't know what he was saying originally. And then reading the lyrics being like, this fits this beat so well, like the concept of it all. So that's what, is been he really talk what is he talking about? I don't know any Spanish either, but I listened to Bad Bunny. <laughs> Um, like in Titi Me Pregunto, which is like his biggest song. He's talking about how he has so many girlfriends like all across the world. And his aunt is like, you have so many girlfriends. And he's like, I barely have time for all of them, but I got them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then other songs just about like being on the beach in Puerto Rico and his life there. And mention just like mentioning certain things about the island and being very like detailed and descriptive about how he feels there and how it feels to be away from his home and stuff like that so really cool <laughs> yeah I, I can see why that's resonated so much with his community for sure and it's it's kind of crazy how much that core of his music has just you know his core community in Puerto Rico has just somehow expanded to this global reach where He's like the top trending artist in the world. It's pretty wild. I was standing on a street corner in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and I'm not kidding you. Every single car, like for seven cars that drove by was playing a different Bad Bunny song. Every single one. It's like you get off the plane and they're like, say you love Bad Bunny. <laughs> say you love him. Um, but yeah, I really respect how I don't like to say the word humble because I don't think anybody should be humble, but I think the way he carries himself and just like authentically makes his music and it doesn't change over time, just that in itself, even though I don't speak Spanish, that in itself was really inspiring to me um, as I try to tap back into my roots, like my bluegrass country roots and incorporate that into my songwriting. So did your family have like uh, bluegrass country roots? I saw on your Instagram, your family seems pretty musical. Yeah, um, my grandparents were like a duo. Um, my grandpa was like one of the best guitar players in like all of Nova Scotia, like an awarded guitar player. My uncle plays mandolin, guitar and piano and sings. My tante, my aunt, um, has an amazing voice even though she smokes cigarettes shout out to my tongue Gloria <laughs> and plays guitar like with her eyes closed just badass um my cousins play bass mandolin banjo guitar piano all of that so 
we have we jam to say the least yeah really the whole family has it going on yeah we have what we call like kitchen parties uh-huh. so um that might be too what you saw on my instagram i think so yeah over to eat and like instead of just like chilling and listening to music like we got they got the pa speakers set up like full electric piano the pedals like everything and my grandma will just sit there with her tea and her homemade bread and we're all jamming so I'm trying to learn more bluegrass songs than they know. So when I go home this time, I can jam more. But sometimes I'll just hop in and start freestyling, riffing with it. But yeah, it's very just authentic. And I love that they they truly do it because they love it. Like they do it for fun and they do it because like they can't imagine not. So, yeah. And also yeah. like in bluegrass in itself, the storytelling that it incorporates yeah talk about lyrics any yeah I think that's why I am so obsessed with lyrics like and I think that level of storytelling and that attention to detail can be translated to really any genre of music you know Mm -hmm. yeah definitely so a lot of friends have recently put me on to Billy Strings and uh I never really would ever listen to music before they started really trying to put me on and now I kind of love bluegrass although I don't listen to it much and don't know much other than him, but definitely want to get more into it. I mean, yeah, the storytelling is amazing. And just like people riffing on the guitar and singing like that is is definitely impressive. Yeah. You got to check out Ricky Skaggs. It's also like an OG bluegrass. That's funny. I'll write that down right now. Strings. Yeah. That's funny. You bring up Billy Strings. My mom and brother just saw him in Charlottesville. And my mom literally called me after and she was like, that was the best. That was the best concert I've ever seen. And my first response was, Better than Zach Brown, which was like one of the best concerts I've ever seen. I would put them up there with like, I saw you two in the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and that was like incredible. And I would put them right up with there with them. And I was like, better than Zach Brown? She was like, doesn't even compare. Billy Strings for wow. Life, three shirts. I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm glad you had a good time. Like, um, so it's good to know too that not only is the music great, but their performance is apparently extremely up to par so yes oh yeah incredible lots of longevity there too yeah definitely um yeah he play he makes some music with his dad too which is really which is really cool yeah um so had your family like been doing those jam sessions growing like your whole life growing up you've always been yeah. around it yeah yep so um, always been around it but two because of where my family lives in canada we can only go once a year so I see my family for one week out of every year or sometimes 10 days. Um, it's like three flights and a four hour car ride or two flights, a boat ride, and then a four hour car ride. Oh man. It's planes, trains, and automobiles, babes. <laughs> so when it, in the winter. It's Is it like, like what? Really, really North Canada? No, it's Nova Scotia. So it's not that it's super North. It's the fact that it's on a peninsula. So you either have to cross the water or drive up and around. It'd be like if you were going from Texas to Miami. You know, uh -huh. like it's not yeah. that far, but it's really far. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> so going in the winter is not really feasible. We did it one time for a wedding and had to put like chains on the car. Like it was. Oh, man. I was like, we <laughs> might as well have gotten dog, like a dog sled. 
Or, um, it's beautiful. And that's actually where my name comes from. Uh, Mavi, there's a beach there called Mavi Le. And in Nova Scotia on the West Coast, and it's actually the highest tides in the world. They go up and down twice a day, 60 feet. Oh my so God. They have to like tie the boats a certain way. You drive by at lunchtime, there's like two football fields of a beach. You come back at dinner time, there's no beach. Wow, that's crazy. And it's twice a day. So everyone that lives there is like, oh yeah, like whatever. And I'm always like, this is insane. That is like, insane. Out and the ocean's not there. And twice a day, <laughs> it comes back. It's slow too. Like it's very gradual. And I've always thought that was really cool. So we would say like, we're going to Mavi for the day. Um, and I always just love that name from Mavi Let. So I took it and combined it with my real name, which is Taylor. And that's how I got my name. Oh, that's cool. That sounds yeah. like a, yeah, it sounds like a beautiful, beautiful spot for sure. Yeah. Um. So obviously you've been around music forever. When did you start wanting taking it more? When did you start wanting to, excuse me, when did you start wanting to take it more seriously and like really start making your own music and dedicate more time to it? I was actually in my college library and working on a group project. And this guy came in the room and the people I was working on a project with were like, you got to get her on a song. Like you got to get her on a song. And I didn't know this person, but I was like, okay. And went to his house and like had such a good time. He had like finished this little like closet and had it like built out. Wasn't creepy, promoted like good creativity. And it was honestly just like a great start. Like, yeah, the songs were like kind of trash, but it helped me kind of figure out that I really do want to blend like jazz, soul and pop because I thought you always had to kind of do one or the other. Like when I did my first EP, I did an A and a B side of like pop and R&B. Mm -hmm. And it helped me realize through that process that there is no rules. You can blend it. And just even hearing my voice like go into a microphone and then play out on a computer for the first time, like blew my mind. Um, and so that kind of started the whole journey of it. And now I honestly can't believe I have like all of my own equipment and I'm doing it by myself. So it took a while, but there's no timeline and I'm doing it now. So, you know, it was a good, that was a really good intro to it because it happened extremely organically in my college library. <laughs> Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it's never too late to start. I mean, I was just talking about hoping to get started soon. So um, yeah. yeah, that's cool to hear. But anyway, so we got into when you started taking music more seriously. When did you get into Web3? And then what like clicked with it that made you want to start taking Web3 more seriously? So mid-pandemic, and I'm kind of early pandemic, and I'm talking like we're spraying our groceries. We all think we're going to die. Didn't know anything really about COVID yet. Like that part of it. Yes. Yeah. I just started teaching myself how to trade crypto and like what the different things were because my roommate's boyfriend, he lived in Pennsylvania. This is we're in Richmond, Virginia. He lived in Pennsylvania. So he would come and visit her and stay for like a week or two because so that way he could like you know, get tested, quarantine, all that stuff. Um, which I didn't mind. Cool guy. 
And another positive of it was that he literally was a Bitcoin miner. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like this kid, I say kid because they're like, they were like four years younger than me. We went to the same college was like on so many computers a day was showing (laughs) pictures of like the mining that he had set up in his attic. And I was like, so he's a full DGN. Yes. I would, and like had been in it for a minute. I'm talking uh-huh. like 2017, was paying his family's bills off of it. And I was like, tell me, like just at the dinner table, <laughs> tell me everything, what, what to pay attention to and not to pay attention to. And having that, having someone just kind of spew things at me and then have that to start from and be like, okay, what's this? Um, like got me set, set up with my own wallet got me like set up on crypto.com, Coinbase, MetaMask, had me following different things on Robinhood and Coinbase, like just kind of helped me like figure out what it was. And then as like a year, a year or two went by, a year, a year or so. And then I found out about NFTs. And once I realized that music could go on the blockchain, I think my brain like exploded. Like I will never and was never the same. I was like, you're telling me this like super technical nerd internet money that I've been playing with could be earned and also distributed in like a fun, creative way with music. And I wouldn't have to like be killing myself to have a label like do a split deal with me or like take all my money you know there's so many like label horror stories and to me it was just the thought of like being able to put out one song or something and have people collect it or own it and have me still own it and not having to like give that up so figuring out that like I said that this crypto and stuff that I'd been trading and kind of looking at it like really just like a financial like fun experiment for me and then once I realized that could mix with art I was like it is it is over like we are gonna we gotta figure this out so I don't crypto trade as much as I used to I kind of take the um the set it and forget it method you know um because honestly it I mean during the pandemic it was easy to like all day be like you know watching it and trading accordingly right and then after kind of came out of it and I started wanting to make more music I started kind of you know crypto trading with more of like a a long-term plan but I'm really glad that happened because I probably would have stayed in that just like having that as like some extra financial like stability and probably would have just kept it like that if it wasn't for web3 and nfts um and then Like I said, started teaching myself more of the production side in October. And by then I had already collected things like um, Women Rise NFT and Super Pass, Super Fest. And, you know, just enjoyed like digitally participating with those communities, especially Women Rise, because that was like the first one I I got. Um, And I just find those founders work and still do, um, which is awesome to see in the space but like work really hard to follow through on their promises. And also we're doing a lot for like women's education and girls education in other countries. And so I loved being a part of a project that was showing 
like real results. And I think on their roadmap, they actually have um, like building a digitally accessible school for girls all around the world. Um, and so cool. already, yeah, was already really into that with, you know, Women Rise and Superfest. And then to be honest, was going through it in December. And my friend Pete, Pete Rango was like, yeah, you episode, come to... four, episode 14. Yeah, I think 15. He was he was pretty recent. Yeah, a superstar. He was like, come to Art Basel. And I had only heard of Art Basel as like, you know, like the Prada and the the Gucci events. I was like, what are you talking about? And then dropped it in the Superfest chat. And they were like, we're getting a house. Come stay at the house. Actually, you know what? Come perform at the house. And I'm like, I was like, okay, um, I guess I'll stay in a house with 18 people I've never met before. Fuck it. Um, my parents were like- That house was awesome. I mean, I was there one afternoon for a while. I think we were hanging I out when I was about there. That, I that place is awesome. I hit the chat like two days ago. and was like, so we can book the same house again, right? It had yeah. like a pool, the grass turf. The What I really liked was the girl's bunk room in the back. Like it was a whole other, basically like a dorm with a really nice bathroom, went to the pool. Like, I think it just helped us all bond really. But um, yeah, showed up to the house, was really nervous. I was like, what are the odds? I'm staying in a house with 18 strangers and I actually like them all. Like, oh my God. And like, I literally loved everybody and I can't believe how much we still all talk every day and how genuine those connections ended up being. Um, cause you know, honestly in the space, in any space, sometimes connections are just like materialistic or surface level or at the moment, you know, it's hard. It's a very important distinction to me between like acquaintances and friends, like who you call your friend. Um, and I just felt, I just felt like it was so different. Like it was so nice to be supported and also not at the same time not be taken like so so seriously like the backyard super jam just being able to perform and we're all like toes in the grass like chilling in the pool um it was an awesome vibe yeah it was really cool yeah that's that sealed the deal for me i have um art basil 2023 written in my planner with like a bunch of hearts around it so <laughs> Nice. Yeah. The, the in-person stuff really, like we were saying before is like so energizing and inspiring. And I think the best, really the best way to onboard people, cause you just can bounce ideas around and talk to people and, and get feedback and see what other people are up to and learn about their projects in a way that like things just sink in and, and resonate yeah. more than they ever do online, even with like zoom calls and voice calls and stuff. Like it's just not the same um yeah, getting to like feel people's like energy even just getting to hear the music in person like someone perform it like back to the lyrics thing I feel like watching somebody perform and like let example like Heno and Latasha at Zoratopia I had listened to their music but I hadn't like listened like I was watching every single word that came out of their mouth and just felt like I was receiving it in a way that I wouldn't have before. I actually have scars on my feet from moshing in like six inch heels. At <laughs> oh man. I was like, no regrets. <laughs> yeah, that was, I was, was that, 
Yeah, I was at her Zoratopia performance in Miami. One of them. Yeah, it was awesome. I had to pick um, between going to see Cardi B and going to Zoratopia. And I was like, I'm a full send and I'm gonna go to Zoratopia. You're a real one. You're a real one for that. That's awesome. Yeah, and it was I did not regret that decision at all. I was like, I mean, you can see Cardi B probably anytime, like it'll happen again. But I truly feel like that was like a once in a lifetime experience at that moment with those people, you know. I, I evaluate going to shows and stuff like that the same way. Like this artist might be back in town in a year or two but this other event like who the fuck knows when i'm going to experience something like that yeah i i do too with picking concerts and stuff like yeah. that mm-hmm. actually the way i found my first music festival bonnaroo shout out that was my first music festival what year 2017 lit um i went in 2015 for the first time because i literally saved up money to go on a cruise and you couldn't go on a cruise unless you were 21. Like, even if you're like a millionaire, you cannot go on a cruise by yourself unless you're 21. Really? And so I was 20. And so I was like, I have all this money saved up. So I thought I was going on a cruise to celebrate graduating. And I saw Mumford and Sons headlining Bonnaroo. And I was like, Mumford and Sons is performing in America. I don't know what a Bonnaroo is, but I'm going. <laughs> I'm go. I showed up literally with like a camelback and the clothes on my back. Luckily, I was <laughs> camping with like 20 people that had blow up couches, carpets, grills. Like they took care of me. But yeah, I was like, this is a once in a lifetime chance to see this artist. I think it's important to know like when those opportunities come up. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's funny. Yeah. Bonnaroo is my first festival too. And I, I've definitely come a long way in terms of like knowing how to set up camp. Oh, absolutely. You know, I got that blow up couch. Yeah. I'll bring a shag <laughs> carpet, like do the most. Yeah, it's funny. Um, getting back into, uh, you mentioned label horror stories and, uh, you know, how Web3 sort of showed you the way, a way out, not a way out, but, you know, a different way. Um, what, what, what struggles were you dealing with in, creating and promoting music and trying to build a music career before you got into web three definitely like the promotion and playlisting part because i felt like i could make good content and like push the song as hard as i wanted to but like unless you were paying some person like low-key under the table it was never going to get on a playlist um And honestly, not even too much of my own experience, because I consider myself very much a newbie in this, in the music making world. But it was the fact of watching people I really looked up to, like Jojo. Um, Jojo, you know, it's just a little too late. She signed into a 10 album deal when she was 13. Oh, my God. So, like, I don't know. I wouldn't trust a 13 year old to go and get me a pack of gum. So the fact <laughs> that they pushed that on her and signed her into a 10 album deal, like Taylor That's Swift a- put out her 10th album and it, it, she's been in this for what, like 12 years? At least, yeah. That's insane. And even that's another example too. Like if I was like, if this can happen to JoJo, if this can happen to Taylor Swift, if this can happen to Megan Thee Stallion, like nobody's safe. Like you have to really be smart and I feel like those tools and that knowledge is available now like more than ever 
Um, but yeah, seeing how labels took advantage and honestly, like really not, not ruined, but like it, it took Jojo years of like legal battles to get out of that and to even be able to release music that she liked. And so that inspired me to take Web3 more seriously with what I was learning so that if I do or when I do have a song pop off, um, I don't get pushed backed into a corner with things that sound really great, but honestly put you on the hook for kind of being like an on-demand creative. Yeah, definitely. I mean, those deals are uh, predatory loans, really. I mean, a lot of those, a lot of those advances that you get are, yeah, people think they look good. And then, you know, you're locked into years of making content that you need to get approved artistically and, uh, you know, there's like crazy interest rates on these, like basically loans that really would be considered uh, pretty immoral in most other industries. But in music, yeah. that's just like how the industry was built in like, you know, the 50s or like way back when. Um, and that's still sort of how like, it operates today. Yeah. Um, that was one of the worst things that happened to Elvis. I mean, like, Yes, he stole a lot of music from Black artists, and that's another conversation. But as far as finances, his manager, after he died, was found to have, like, seriously been mismanaging his funds, like, millions and millions of dollars. Um, If you watch the movie, they, like, kind of touch on it. But he had been touring, doing huge residencies, all this stuff, and at the end of the day was, like, almost completely broke. And so situations like that made me want to just kind of explore expand and not I think another really important key is to not rush and to not feel like oh my god if I don't have a label I don't have a team like I can't do anything meh like just kind of keep making your art putting it out in a way that makes sense and not positioning yourself in a way that would allow other people with bad intentions to take advantage yeah, it's important to educate yourself and yeah, just understand all the tools that are available so that you can make the right decisions. Um, yeah, and I feel like people in Web3 share that knowledge more than any other. I mean, people in the music industry share a lot of knowledge, but sometimes it's like condensed into a weird Instagram infographic. And I'm like, what's the background on this? Or like, you know. Um, so I definitely appreciate how much it's kind of an open conversation in Web3, like how to handle your music distribution and things like that. Right, because it's a space where you can really experiment and there are no real formulas and and everyone's sort of figuring it out together. And I feel like I've heard from so many artists that, um, you know, the support and the collaboration Web3 are uh, hard to match, hard to find elsewhere. Yeah, I really feel like I got like... I feel like I got like a little like family. I'm like, these are my, my parents were like, what do you mean you're staying in a house with 18 people (laughs) in Miami? I was like, it's okay. They're my internet friends. (laughs) Right. They were like, "Uh, okay. I'm like, just trust me. It's going to be great. Yeah. But I really do feel like the web three family and support is authentic. Yeah, I really felt it in Denver this weekend, like after being at 
you know, three or four four or five of these conferences and like meeting people so many times, it's like, there's a crew and people like are super supportive and it, it does feel like a family in ways for sure. Jake, stop. You're about to make me buy this Austin plate ticket. <laughs> Honestly, I haven't heard about that much stuff going on in Austin. Like, um, I mean, South by is a lot bigger than just web three and, and, um, I still need to figure out what's going on. I know campfire is having something float is doing some stuff. Um, also, but uh, I think if you had to, Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I was talking yeah. to Brent about other stuff, um, earlier, but yeah, they're doing like a collaboration with lens. I think it's on the Thursday of that. I was okay. like, what if I cool. fly in for 48 hours and leave? That was like the things I was uh, <laughs> drafting today. Me on my, me on my hopper app like how can i go for 48 hours yeah what about new york are you gonna be in nft nyc oh definitely yeah. I, I already bought my plane ticket for that um don't know where i'm staying i'm just i'm gonna figure it out but yeah. new york pretty close to us feel very lucky to have a one hour direct flight to the greatest city on earth so we'll definitely be there for that yeah that's nice i uh I went to the like NFT NYC was sort of my introduction to web three in November, 2021. And then when I went back in June, I stayed with my same friends who at the time they lived like near times square where like everything was going on for the conference. So I stayed with them both times. And then I just hit them up a couple of weeks ago, like, yo, NFT NYC is coming up. I have to stay with you guys again. It's tradition at this point. <laughs> is that where it all goes down? Like near times square? Near Times Square is where the actual conference is. Yes. I mean, the events are obviously all over, but still mostly like, like downtown area ish. Um, yeah, I had to miss out last year and I just noticed like how much people at Basel were talking, not only just like talking about it, but it was genuinely like a really good experience. And even from some people that had never been to New York city before, which I feel like if you've never been to New York city before and you're going to a big event like that, it could be like too much. It could be overwhelming. Yeah. And everyone was like, it was the best. We made so many, friends. we did so much and I already love New York. So I'm really excited. Yeah, no, I'm excited for that one too. Um, what else do you have coming up this year? What are what are your other plans for, for music and web three generally? So right now, uh, I don't want to give away too much, but I'm working on my own experiment uh, with custom merch. So something I deeply care about is thrifting. Um, care about, love it. I think just we as a society make more clothes and textiles that could ever be used. Um, I I'm love like thrifting. The I went in Denver on Sunday and got so much good shit. Um, thrifting in places where people have like a wide variety of styles, like in Denver and New York live yeah. for that. I always try to thrift when I'm in Denver. There's so many good shops with so much crazy stuff I wouldn't find elsewhere. Right. Um, and so I've always loved thrifting, um, pretty much everything I own clothing wise now is thrifted, but I'm also like the tree hugger of my family. Like. Um, my mom always jokes. She's like, it's funny that you like know how to do a full face of makeup. You go and get your eyelashes done and then you will like cry over a tree getting cut down. And I'm like, that's me. <laughs> um, but I just love the 
like rarity almost to it. Like the experiments side is going to be me kind of experimenting with custom merch versus, um, you know, like standard merch and kind of having custom collector items be something available to my NFT collectors. And I was just really thinking about the concept of NFTs can be one of one, you know, and they can be rare. And we all kind of decide the value of things based off of our own personal experiences. Like you might think one F one NFT is stupid and another person might be like, I would give my left arm for that NFT. And, you know, just having it be like a rare one of one thing. And I was thrifting one day and just kind of got in the thought loop of, it's crazy all the things that have to happen for this one item to like end up in my hands, you know? And then painting them and adding my own personal touch to it, I think makes it a true like one of one item. Like you can't get this anywhere else. Or sometimes you don't even know what the brand is because the tag's ripped off. Um, And so painting them and making them one of one. So I'm working on a collection of jackets right now. Um, the first one is going to go to whoever collects um, my Zora edition, which is up right now. And at the end of the month, I'm going to randomly pick one collector to get the first jacket and kind of grow on the experiment from there. So yeah, just bringing upcycling and thrifting to the blockchain is re- what I'm focused in on right now. Yeah, cool. I like that a lot. Uh, my my friend who manages a couple bands has been talking about doing some like thrifted merch and like getting patches made for the jackets and shit they buy. And then we we were talking about doing that with Float too. Um, I think it's a super great idea. I, I think that's that's a, that's cool. Um, yeah, I, I love. Um, just like you said, traveling to other places too and going thrifting. Like, um, I recently spent like two or so weeks in Hawaii um, in October. And we went thrifting because we're like, okay, it's winter here. We can't like buy any like bathing suits or like summer clothes for Hawaii here. So we'll just get them when we're there. And went to the thrift stores and it was all winter clothes. It was all the stuff (laughs) that people had moved to Hawaii with. And we're like, oh, never need this ever again <laughs> so we got like sweaters pants like everything and literally getting on the plane we were like layering like four pairs of pants like two sweaters like whatever to bring it home and yeah. not have the space be overweight but yeah thrifting's fun that's funny yeah no I'm a, I'm a big thrifter myself so that's that's a cool way to incorporate it into into the music and into the blockchain I like that yeah when I have the um store up because I too I want to make it like web 2.5 I don't want to make it so so complicated I'm yeah. just kind of have the, you know cool custom perks like be for my collectors but yeah when that shops up I'll send it to you yeah please let me know definitely um I know you gotta head out in a few minutes is there anything else you want to shout out or touch on before we wrap up shout out campfire shout out super fest Shout out Zora. Shout out Pete Rango. That those are my shout outs. <laughs> those are some good shout outs. All all yes. projects and people that I'm a fan of. Today, literally today, yesterday, I was like, Pete, we are talking on 
We are talking on Instagram, Twitter, Telegram, texting. Like someone arrest us. Like we're and they were all about like different. They were right. all about like topics. It was organized, but I was like, we're talking on five apps. It which is it is always funny when you're having separate conversations. Sometimes I'll have separate conversations with someone on Snapchat where half of it, one conversation is text or like texts in the chat and the other conversation is snapchats with captions yeah yeah we all um we're all just constantly testing our attention span abilities at this point yeah (laughs) it's a lot to balance um all right mavi well that was that was super fun i think that was a great conversation um yeah it was so good to talk to you again yeah for sure let me know i mean i'll i'll be around new york um for nft nyc but if you're ever around dc let me know hell yeah um yeah i'll message you too about um the new york plans because all i know is i'm going i've never yep. done like that. i've never that's, experienced that's all i that's all i know right now too so let's stay in touch cool well again thank you so much for having me this was refreshing and so fun yeah this was fun all right see you later bye Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to check the links in the show notes to find and support Mavi and her music. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. And you can follow along on Twitter, Instagram, and Lens at the links below as well. And be sure to tune in next week for a conversation with Chad Hillard and Cole Ryan from Dreams Never Die a music company and artist company that just launched their Founder Pass NFT project to give their community more access to the label and get them involved. 